It's actually a good night for those of you that are new and it's a kind of a revisiting of what I think is the ground of what we're up to for those that have been here for a while. Many of you might be familiar with the Desert Fathers, the uh, Christian mystics, and there is one story where one Desert Fathers asked by a monk, is there anything I can do to make myself enlightened? And the response from the wise man is, as little as you can do to make the sun rise in the morning. So the guy goes, well, so then of what use are these spiritual practices you're prescribing, <laughs> you know? And the response is, to make sure you're not asleep when the sun begins to rise. In Buddhism it's described that our deepest nature is this awareness and this love and, there's, and we can't force or strive or go after because it's already here and any movement to try to make something happen is almost coming from a doubt or a fear. So there's not a striving or a doing and yet there is a way in which intentionally cultivating presence helps us to realize and inhabit what's here. So it's a little paradoxical. So what I'd like to do tonight is explore really what I consider the key elements of homecoming, of this kind of practice of presence. So um, one of my favorite lines from the poet Rumi is a question, and it's a question that is just very simple. He says, do you make regular visits to yourself? Don't you think that's a great question? Do you? And he goes on to say, fish like we are need the ocean around us. That our soul to shine needs that quality of presence, that homecoming, that being here. What I'd like to do tonight, and we'll be talking about formal practice. You know, what really are the key elements to formal practice as we describe it here, this practice of presence? Just to say that the only reason we even talk about formal practice is to bring alive in our daily life so that we're not asleep as the seasons change into springtime or when someone really wants us to listen to them or when there's music playing, first peaking of the crocus, that we're awake for it. And as we know, it's pretty easy and it's pretty pervasive, this kind of trance of actually rushing and leaning into something else. I described, I think, last week how William James does is this, um, this ceaseless frenzy of always thinking we're supposed to be doing something else than we're doing this moment. That one resonates with me, so I like to talk about it. But it's a sense of that we're on our way somewhere else. And when we're very honest, we realize there's not that many moments we're valuing as this is it. This matters as much as anything in the whole world, this moment. And one of my favorite illustrative cartoons is this uh, family on the desert and the parents are on one camel and the kids on another and all their possessions are on the third and you see in this cartoon that the father is kind of responding to something that his son said and the response is, will you stop asking if we're almost there? We're nomads for Christ's sake, you know? 
So there's this sense of how do we wake up out of this idea in our minds, this movie that we're just going somewhere and really have the capacity to cherish and really live fully what's here, not skim the surface, really arrive. So in Buddhist training, and this is really true, I think these are the two major components that you find in any meditative practice. The Buddha described it as the two wings that allow us to fly and be free. And one of the wings is the wing of mindfulness, of really seeing clearly what is happening right here. It's an awakeness, okay? And the other wing is the wing of the heart that opens and fully allows and embraces and cares for what's here. And you have to have both. You can't just be awake but rejecting what you're seeing and what's happening. And you can't just be very, very open, like really embracing, but not have that sense of clarity of knowing what's here. So we need both wings. We'll be exploring primarily this wing this week. I'm going to do this over a few weeks. The first week we'll be really exploring mindfulness. How do we wake up from this trance and begin to really recognize what's going on? I'd like to start by saying that any formal practice that we undertake depends on the quality of the heart that really guides us into practice, whether it's going to serve our freedom. We can definitely develop skills, but when we talk about real spiritual freedom, I mean, profound awakening, there's a quality of sincerity that needs to be there, not a kind of a a rigorous, I'm trying to get somewhere or make something of myself, but a real quality of heart, which is why in the Tibetan practice they say aspiration is the point the needle point, that air, the whole rest of the universe comes out of our aspiration. In any moment, what you're caring about creates the rest of the world for you. So I say that with the understanding that for most of us, practice doesn't necessarily come out of this sincere, oh, I just want to be open-hearted and free. There's a kind of, we transplant into practice all our neurotic stuff about trying to get somewhere or be different or not doing it right and it's very valuable not to judge that but to become aware of how do you approach meditation practice what's the mindset or the heart set there is an undercurrent in meditation communities where there's kind of this agreed on thing that we all know meditation is good for us. That's the kind of agreed on valuing. And yet it's not so easy to have a regular practice. So let me ask you to do something, if you will, just to help me out. Close your eyes. This is a hand raise. I'm going to ask you a few questions. How many of you have a very regular meditation practice, like most, almost daily? Doesn't matter how long, but almost daily. Okay, arms down. How many of you have an irregular practice, a now and then practice? Same hands went up, no. (laughs) Okay, down. How many of you feel satisfied with your practice right now, just the way it is? You just feel really satisfied with how your practice is. 
And how many feel dissatisfied? Just be honest. Okay. That's great. Thank you for telling me. So I'll just give you some feedback. I'd say about 95% of you are dissatisfied with your practice. And I think that's really interesting that we have an idea of it's a good thing for us and yet there's this overlay that we carry around that it's not enough, not good enough, needs to be more. And so I'd like you to continue with a, a reflection just to close your eyes again. And just ask yourself, really, what is my relationship with meditation practice, my attitude? What's my attitude towards visiting myself? And just, just kind of sense, is there a lot of shoulds in there? Or striving? Do you drag yourself half-heartedly? Is there a sense of that you're not really doing it right? That in some way you're falling short? Is there a procrastination like, well, at some point I'm going to start doing a regular practice and get my spiritual path cooking, but not now, not yet. Is there a sincerity, like, I'm practicing because I love to wake up? A willingness? Don't judge, just notice. What's your way of relating to it? And continue to kind of check that out and one of the things I like to share when I'm talking about meditation practice, formal practice, is that sometimes in some traditions it's more rigorous, some more rigid, some more demanding than others, but the way it's taught at some phases in American Buddhist history the Zen tradition was very, very rigorous. Thich Nhat Hanh, a Buddhist teacher, was invited to the San Francisco Zen Center and uh, they asked, the students there asked him how they could improve their practice. I want to read you his response. You guys get up too early for one thing and you should get up a little later. And your practice is too grim. I have just two instructions for you this week. One is to breathe and one is to smile. So that's Thich Nhat Hanh on it. <laughs> so just to, to share my background is that for the first at least 10 years of practice, mine was the prototype of a striving yogi. I just, I had this constant sense of I wasn't there yet, I had to try harder. I lived in an ashram, we got up at 3.30 in the morning to start practice and I would for a while get up at 2.30 so I could get an extra meditation and and I don't say, this isn't with pride, I'm, I'm actually sharing that there was this sense of I was trying to get somewhere and trying really hard and there was a, a tightness around it and a kind of sense underneath and this is what's important that there was this flawed self trying to polish herself or get better at something. In other words, it reaffirmed a sense of not good enough self. What started to cut through that and this is where I want to come back to attitude was this reflection on what really matters that when I started beginning not just my meditation formally but just my day and my life was, wait a minute, what, what really matters? And what really mattered was a sense of being at home in my body and my heart, not being at war with myself, being in love with life, not striving but really being able to 
as one person said, serve and savor, a kind of inner freedom, it softened my approach. And our meditation became less striving and more kind of this curiosity of, oh, what's here? Can I be with what's here? Can I be, can I soften and be kind with what's here? So I start with that because if we covered nothing else but just our attitude towards practice, um, everything unfolds from that. I'm going to cover some of the basic components and just to say that it's a very useful thing to distinguish between the practices that help us to arrive here and they're kind of techniques, ways of paying attention, okay, and presence itself, what you might call natural awareness. With the training practices that help us get here, there's some controlling or directing of the attention. With what I call true meditation, our natural awareness, there's no controlling. There's the best language might be there's a kind of resting in an awakeness and an openness, resting in what's here. Okay? The techniques are valuable because we have such conditioning to be lost in thought, to be tight in our bodies, so it helps to cut through the conditioning. But if all we do through our lives is kind of these techniques of arriving, we actually don't end up experiencing a liberating kind of freedom that comes from non-doing. So I just want to put that out there. There's a difference between these kind of skillful doings that prepare the ground, create an atmosphere for presence, and then the awakeness itself. Okay, the skillful doings. The first that, and this is really what you'll hear in the guided meditations and we'll practice together, the first gateway that really helps us get here is to feel our body and relax. So right from the start, I'd like just to invite you to notice if you haven't been experiencing an embodied presence, notice what helps you to come into your body. And I'd like to suggest that you as we do in our guided meditation often, just feel your shoulders and let go a little. And then feel them some more. Feel your hands and soften. Sense a kind of intimate attention at the hands. Feel your belly and soften. so that that awakeness fills your torso just as a glass can be full with water this body can be full with awareness there's the Chinese word song, S-O-N-G but what it means is relaxation that's filled with awareness And a component of relaxing is letting go of holding, of weight. So you can just surrender your weight to the floor, kind of sinking. Relax the body and allow the tissues of the body to return to their intended place. 
to align with gravity. So this skillful means is really relaxing, scanning through the body, waking up in the body, When the body's tight, it's the body's way of resisting being fully present. There's a kind of attempt to control. Let go a little more. So you can begin to sense a field of sensation. So that even as you open your eyes and we'll keep going, you can sense more of that hereness again. See if you can listen. One friend describes it. Listen with maybe 5% of your attention. Let the 95% stay right here in this body. You won't miss anything, I promise. Just feel your body, be here. The second skillful means, the first is this relaxed, embodied kind of presence. The second has to do with quieting the mind because we are so conditioned, there's such a busyness that takes us away from this here-ness. Anything that can help us to quiet a little and remember, I think of it as re-mindfulness, that we lose mindfulness, we go off in thought, so we practice re-mindfulness, a kind of re-arriving. And here's where, when the mind's busy, it can be helpful to have a pre-selected home base. So right now, sense for yourself, what is the kind of... if you had to have something in the foreground that's right here, that could be kind of an anchor to help you come back again and again. For most, it's the breath, that's the most common. If it's the breath for you, let yourself really relax with the inflow and outflow. Let it be a pleasant, relaxing anchor. For others, it might be the sensations in the hands, or maybe the feeling of the sitting posture as your home base. For still others, it might be sound. So we relax, we feel our body, we sense if there's some foreground for the attention to rest in, so that when we drift, we know we've left that and we have a way to come back. Let me speak a little more about this remindfulness. The given is that these minds secrete thoughts like the body secretes enzymes. It's not a mistake and we're not trying to vanquish the thoughts. We're not trying to get rid of them. If you think that meditating is getting rid of thoughts or if you're at war with thoughts, you'll be at war for the rest of your life. We're not trying to get rid of them. There's a quieting and even more there's a waking up so we're aware that they're happening. We're not lost, we're not in a trance. What we find out is that if your intentions to not be lost, you'll start noticing when you've drifted and just the noticing is the arriving back here. The thought, once you're aware of it, 
presence occupies awareness again is not caught inside the thought form. So there's a kind of alertness that's noticing, that's pulling the curtain on thought and going, oh, it's there. I think of it sometimes in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy and the comrades were there. Who pulled the curtain and exposed the wizard? You all know, right? Who was it? Yeah. So it's like we have this inner toto that's really not going to get fooled. It goes, oh yeah, a thought again. I've been lost in a thought. And the inner toto is kind of pulling the curtain and going, okay, that's what's going on. Now we can come back again. And it's interesting to start noticing what are thoughts. I mean, there's sound bites, they're images. It's been described that we have 90,000 a day and 98% we had yesterday. You know, the same ones. It's like we're living in this cocoon of familiar... I sometimes think that if anybody else was whispering in my ear what I tell myself through the day, I wouldn't put up with it for a moment. You know, the, you know what I mean? The stuff that goes through. And what happens is that we believe our thoughts and they're very tenacious and we just keep holding on to them rather than perceiving what's actually happening right here. I heard a story of an eight-year-old who lost a tooth and got curious about the tooth fairy and finally said, Mom, are you the tooth fairy? And she goes, yes, hon. And he seemed to take this potentially jarring news well and he headed towards the door, but then he turned around with this quizzical look and he said, how do you get into other kids' houses? You know? (laughs) I love that because, you know, we just keep, we, we kind of let go a little bit, but not really of our beliefs about things. But mostly, the reason I bring this up is our ideas and beliefs really shape the reality we're living in. And especially the ones of, I'm doing something wrong, I'm going to do something wrong. Another child story, children lined up in a cafeteria at a Catholic elementary school for lunch, and at the head of the table was a large pile of apples. The nun made a note and posted it on the apple tray. Take only one. God is watching. (laughs) Moving further along the lunch line, at the other end of the table was a large pile of chocolate chip cookies. A child had written a note. Take all you want. God's watching the apples. (laughs) (laughs) So whether it's through the culture or our own internal monitoring, we have these ideas about who's watching us, what rules we have to go by, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And sadly, those inner beliefs and thoughts often have a basic theme of, I'm not doing enough, I'm falling short, something's wrong with me. If we don't see that, if we don't see the thoughts and beliefs, they absolutely control our emotional feeling, our heart, the way our mind works and the way we experience reality. A powerful question is, what am I believing? This training, this inner toto of catching the thoughts, catching the beliefs, actually gives us the chance to wake up out of that trance. We get to choose to be here and touch freedom. So the challenge, as I I say, is that we do believe the thoughts and one of the big wake-ups, and I've seen this at retreats over and over again because that's when we get quieter and we really get the knack of, oh, a thought's going on, is when, um, when someone will report something like, 
you know, I realize I don't have to believe my beliefs. That's the taste of freedom. I was <laughs> Recently I had did an interview with someone at a retreat and she said, oh, I lost my train of thought. And she goes, how delightful, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love that. So the key is really returning here and letting go of thoughts, not pushing them away. The letting go actually happens as we notice them. And if we can have a quality of friendliness... I know for myself when I've been drifting in thoughts, the first thing that happens when I notice them is I have a judgment that says, oh, I wasn't really meditating well. There's just this judgment, like I wasn't quite doing it right. Okay, come back to such and such. See if you can even include that in your awareness and have the intention to be friendly. It's very powerful. St. Francis de Sales says, what we need is a cup of understanding, a barrel of love, and an ocean of patience. Bring yourself back to the moment quite gently. And even if you do nothing during the whole of your meditation or bring your heart back a thousand times, though it went away every time you brought it back, your time would be very well employed. Remindfulness. We're getting the knack of waking up from the trance, of Thich Nhat Hanh says it, of keeping our appointment with life. So um, we'll just practice remindfulness a bit and then we'll go on to the next skillful means. If you will, just close your eyes. So beginning, and this is real, it's really helpful to get, sense yourself the knack of, oh, okay, pausing, come into my body, relax. It may be that you take a few full breaths. So you really learn this gateway into presence, coming home. Sensing if there is a home base that really gives you a sense of sacred presence. And it might be the simplicity of the breath. It might be the sounds. feeling the whole body's sensations sitting here. And this practice of remindfulness, of coming back, really is a practice of noticing what's going on, noticing when the mind drifts, and just relaxing into hereness again. these next few moments of silence, let your intention be simple to awaken from trance when trance arises by just noticing, pausing when there's a thought, just noticing and pausing. If you notice, the thought will dissolve naturally. 
and you'll rediscover the aliveness of what's right here and the mystery of being right here. Notice the difference between being inside a thought and this wakefulness right here, the vividness and immediacy of what's right here. So far, this is the practices of arriving, relaxing, feeling the body, let the senses be awake, have the intention to awaken from thoughts. And this is really setting the grounds for mindfulness, for a full presence right here. Um, One of the definitions of mindfulness that is kind of in the literature now is that we're paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally, to the unfolding of experience moment to moment. That's really formal. There's another way of saying it, which is really to truly recognize and allow the life that's here, to be here for it. And I mentioned Thich Nhat Hanh talking about not missing our appointment with life, that we set the grounds and have this intention towards mindfulness because in a way, and I can say personally, 
when I work with people, probably the deepest despair that comes my way is a sense of racing towards the finish line but not really living it. So we practice these ways of presence to live the life fully. There's a a short story to share with you. One woman described being with her four-year-old son, Noah, and she's saying, hurry up, hurry up, come on, Noah, I employed my four-year-old son. If he doesn't get into his sneakers and move quickly, how will I ever manage to do our errands and make it to the park in time for him to play before lunch? (laughs) Brown eyes large and serious, Noah looks up at me. But I want to feed my horsey, he insists. Won't you help me? We have to go, I want to say. We'll never get to the park in time. But before I say another word, I remember about a friend. And this is what she described about her friend. Her friend was a woman who was pregnant for the first time and found out she had cancer. And she gave birth to a healthy baby girl. But as the months passed, she and all those dear to her realized that she wasn't going to win the battle against cancer. She was dying. And during the first year of her child's life, the only year that she would live to experience, this woman had a constant kind of mantra, which is, I have no time to rush. I have no time to rush. So that's the memory, that's, that's what informed this woman that's telling the story. And she goes, here, Noah, I say now with a smile, showing him the toy carrots. Horses love carrots. Delighted, Noah holds the carrot out to his toy horse. Here, horsey, he says. His eyes are even bigger now and his face is radiant. He's so beautiful, I realize. And how long, after all, will he be asking me to help him feed his imaginary horse? So no time to rush. In a way, when we say, well, how come we do these practices of that seems so technical, I'm sitting here and isn't it kind of boring, I'm, you know, coming back to my breath. We're not practicing to come back to our breath and we're not practicing to vanquish thoughts. But we are training ourselves to wake up out of a habitual rushing and busyness and movement towards something else so we can be here for this life. It's a kind of irony that I wasn't sure if I was going to share that story, but I left late to get here and I was on Georgetown Pike and there was traffic. I don't know, many of you know Georgetown Pike, but even if you wanted to rush, you can't. I mean, it's two lanes and it's all curvy and so on. But nonetheless, I was feeling this inner pressure and so I was, you know, I didn't mean to, but I was kind of tailgating the person in front of me and just like tense and and in that rush mode. And I was thinking, and then I was sometimes as it happened, knew I was coming here and knew I was going to be talking about this kind of thing. I said, okay, what would it mean to really not be in rush mode right now? And I started paying attention to what it was like being in the body that's rushing and trying to get somewhere and the squeeze and the tension and the leaning forward and the sense of self as this obnoxious, aggressive, leaning forward self, you know. And, and I said, okay, so what would it mean to really not be rushing? And the first thing that happened was that I had to feel the tightness and anxiety in my body. It's almost like by rushing I was moving away from having to sit down into the vulnerability. So it's not easy to stop the momentum. It's like I had to feel that squeeze, but as I sat down into it and just made space for it, 
And this is mindfulness. Just noticed and let it be there. Those are the two qualities. Recognize what's happening and allow. A space opened up of presence. And in that space, I was listening to 90.9, so it was a Mozart's 26th and E-flat minor, I think it was. All of a sudden, Mozart started flowing into the space that had been so tight with my busy rushing. Now, I want to say it's not always Mozart that floats in. I don't want to make this all like airy-fairy. But the truth is that when we're rushing, we cannot appreciate what's here. We can't appreciate the poignancy, the vulnerability, the sadness, the beauty. We can't appreciate the life. No time to rush. We've kind of arrived some. There's two questions that really are the blossoming of mindful presence. One is, what is happening right here inside me? You can just ask that. What is happening right here inside me? This is the question that that really wakes up the mind. This is lucidity, clear seeing, recognizing. That's, this is one element of mindfulness. What is happening inside me right now? Now you could have a more comprehensive mindfulness and saying, what is happening right now? It doesn't have to be inside this body, but that's the beginning. The second question is, can I let this be? Or can I be with this? In other words, it's the question that has to do with allowing. Is there space? Recognizing and allowing. The allowing is a kind of willingness to be here. It's to stop the war, to stop resisting. Sometimes it's described as the word yes. Just to say yes to this life. It doesn't mean we're liking what's here. It doesn't mean we're agreeing or resigning. It just means we're it's a moment of truthfulness. Oh, it's like this. We're allowing the life that's here, reality. Emmanuel says, this is Pat Rodegast who channels this entity, Emmanuel. So walk with your heaviness saying yes. Yes to the sadness. Yes to the whispered longing. Yes to the fear. Love means setting aside walls, fences, and unlocking doors and saying yes. One can be in paradise by simply saying yes to this moment. So in this practice of mindfulness, another way of describing it is recognizing and saying yes over and over again. In the most basic way, are two qualities that we're cultivating here and one is in um, recognizing as kind of a wakeful contact with whatever's happening and the other is a quality of openness noticing and openness recognizing, yes so let's just practice that a little bit and then we'll just a few more moments after that and then we're going to close And I'd like to practice with you um, by going through the steps that we have done this evening, just to feel it more and more in your body in a cellular way. So begin with your intention. Just for these few moments, this is very short, this is a mini meditation, okay? 
just to feel your intention for these moments, the sincerity, a kind of willingness to come home to what's here. and then the gateway of the body, a relaxed, awake presence in the body. Let go in the shoulders a little. Just give yourself that gift, letting go. Soften the hands. You might sense the half smile of the Buddha, that slight smile just to relax the nervous system. Feel yourself here, the field of sensations that's here. If there's a home base that helps you to more fully stabilize in this here-ness, the breath, sounds, just sense that in the foreground. This is the arriving. The true meditation is not controlling but simply recognizing and allowing the changing stream of experience. There's a Tibetan phrase that helps describe this beautifully. Utterly awake, with the five senses wide open, utterly open, with unfixating awareness. utterly awake with the five senses wide open, listening to sound, listening to and feeling sensations, resting in the openness and the silence that's listening. the mind feels cloudy or confused, you can establish more lucidity by asking, what is happening right here? 
if the mind feels contracted, listen to sounds. Sense the openness, the space that sounds rise and dissolve in. in the most simple way just to recognize what's happening and allow. Saying yes, moment to moment. This poem is called White Dove. In the shared quiet, an invitation arises like a white dove lifting from a limb and taking flight. Come and live in truth. Take your place in the flow of grace. Draw aside the veil you thought would always separate your heart from love. All you ever longed for is before you in this moment if you dare draw in a breath and whisper yes. Yes.